the store's name is Wiregrass Exotics. Mm-hmm. That's it. No, like Pets and Supplies isn't part of the legal name. It's not on the windows. So we have people who drive by and our windows are tinted because the sun comes up in the window and just superheats the store. Right. So we have really nice privacy film. Well, we've had people come by and ask if we are an adult toy store, if we are exotic <laughs> dancers, if we're, I had a guy come in the other morning um, asking me, showing me a picture on his phone of like, hey, do you guys have this vape battery here? And I'm like, sir, this is a pet store. Hey friends, and welcome to the Modern Medusa podcast. Welcome back to the Modern Medusa podcast. I'm super excited to be talking with a good friend of mine and a new business owner to talk about all the incredible things that come, in, come with owning a reptile business. So thanks everyone for giving us a follow on Instagram. I also created a Facebook page. I'm working on getting Instagram updated with all of the clips from the past episodes, but that's been a little hard for me to upkeep. So we're getting there. Um, but thanks again for all your support means the absolute world to me. And please check out our Patreon if you feel so inclined. So tonight I'm going to be talking with Amanda Rua, who is with Wiregrass Exotics. And if you haven't heard of it yet, it's a new reptile store and they have an awesome Facebook page you can follow. And they also have a storefront down in Alabama. Yes, in Ozark, Alabama. So uh, we're going to tell you a little bit more about that. So please welcome Amanda. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. I'm so excited. How are you? Doing pretty good. Finally got a, it slowed down. We closed after some crazy chaos today, but uh, really was a big day. Interesting morning. Um, So animal control called because we do uh, free location relocations in the area. Yeah. Um, And so animal control was at the local hospital Mm -hmm. and I'm like, Hey, we had somebody get bit by a snake. We need you to come down and identify the snake. Oh God. And so yeah, animal control, like, I'm sorry, really fast. Animal control doesn't have anyone else who can identify a native snake. No, not quite. And it, it, this story gets so good. Okay. Um, Keep going. Keep going. (laughs) So Dallas comes, Dallas comes, grabs me. We go down to the hospital and we get there and they have a snake in a zip top pillowcase tied up. Now, So you're just expected to just open this unknown snake bag? Yeah, mystery bag. <laughs> so yeah, no, no hooks, no tools. Like we just, I just hopped in the truck and I was like, oh, it's probably dead. I'll go check it out. ID it, be on my way. No, it's alive. It's in the bag. We get it untied. We, you know, grab a corner with their tongs and mm-hmm. pick it up, gently drop it out. It's a water snake. Oh, so of course I'm like, Oh, little buddy. <laughs> and I, we're running over and trying to pick him up. And he's just sitting there chomping on Dallas's hands. And the doctor comes out and he's like, Oh, he's like, why are you holding that? That's a water moccasin. And we're like, no, it's definitely a water snake. It's a Midland water snake. Totally yeah. harmless. Just kind of stinky. Oh but my God. Like pure shock. Like, how do you not know what the snakes in your area look like? How did none of the people in that situation, know? <laughs> like, like animal control doctors and the person who got bit by the snake, none of them could identify it. They all 10 for 10 water moccasin. 
I was like, y'all, I was like, no, I was like, so we're going to, we're going to get with them. We're going to go over some identification, some basic things, hopefully teach animal control, how to use a hook in a bucket. But yeah, we've, we've got our work cut out for us here. Oh my God. That's just like, I, I like, I can't, well, I'm trying to think, okay. Someone gets bit by a snake that maybe you don't know. Like, yeah, the logical thing is like, call someone animal control that you think would know. But like the person who got bit, did they not realize they were like not having a reaction? No. So, I mean, they, they went to the emergency room. They did what they needed to do, you know, assuming it was a venomous bite. Um, they got in, saw the doctor, but I see, I don't know if like the doctor was doing a blood panel or like looking for any kind of envenomation. Um, judging by like the size of the snake, when Dallas got bit, there was teeth marks everywhere. Like you could tell it was not a venomous bite. There was yeah. no fang monsters or anything. Um, but so we all had a good laugh and I'm just kind of over here. Like, how do y'all not know these things? Yeah. That person's about to pay like $500 in emergency vet, emergency room, not emergency vet, emergency room fees <laughs> just because they were stupid. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But the doctor was really nice. Um, we're going to get together with him in the future uh, soon. And um, I've got a, cop- a copy of the North American Pit Viper bite protocol from Joe Pittman that I'm going to take down there, kind of sit and go over it with them and make sure that they're up to speed on how to take care of a bite. We've had a lot of calls for relocations recently. Um, yeah. I don't know if you saw on our Facebook page, we got um, 13 babies and a mama out of uh, one property. Oh yeah. I remember seeing that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So how, okay. With your organization. Okay. Oh my God. Your store is fairly new, right? Within the last year. Yes. Uh, two months. We opened July 3rd. Oh my God. You're super new. Yeah. I, okay. This is right before Daytona. So how did animal control know to call you? Were you already involved in the community doing like relocation services or education at all? Absolutely. Um, so we are, we finally are partnered with the Rattlesnake Conservancy. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to uh, Dallas and I'll be teaching their classes for awesome. um, level one venomous relocation and uh, an introductory class. We recently had the local library reach out to us about doing a show for uh, World Reptile Day in October. Mm-hmm. So, um, but mainly just a really heavy presence on Facebook and just, mm-hmm. you know, any that needs some kind of relocation or identification we're like hey we're here we're available please don't kill it like we'll come out for free we'll come get it yeah yeah so. and, and that's so important because with you being in Alabama um do you notice a lot of misconceptions of like what people think the animals are because I know I know in I'm in the Ohio Kentucky area and like everything's a copperhead. Like obviously half of the things are not copperheads and the people, and I'm always jealous. It's always the people who don't want to see a snake that find the goddamn copperheads. And I'm like, how the hell did you find that? But are you, do you see that a lot? Cause you have a, a wider variety of venomous in Alabama. Um, are people generally aware of what's around them or is a lot of situations like this one? Not at all. And even Dallas is sitting here shaking his head. No. <laughs> oh. So it seems like everything around here is either an Eastern diamondback or a cottonmouth water moccasin, yeah. um, which it's usually a rat snake or a water snake. Diamondbacks are few and far between them down here. We do have them, but mm-hmm. they're so fragmented that we, we have never found a live one anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, people send me videos when I come out for relocations. They're like, yeah, two hours ago, it was over here in this bush. And I'm like, now it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> two hours ago. Okay. <laughs> 
but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Like we've been really well received as a store. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people who don't really like reptiles, but their kids do. So they'll come in um, and we take the opportunity to kind of teach them a little bit here and there about different species. Um, mm-hmm. We do have a venomous room in the store. Right. Um, it's all, all kept to Florida standards, double contained, the doors locked. Um, people can only go in when one of us take them in there and both of us have to be present in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, we've got timber rattlesnakes, um, copperheads, cotton mouths, um, soon to have pygmies on display. Mm-hmm. And then the Eastern Diamondback, once we get the state permits for them. So then is this a, an education tool or are these animals that you do intend to sell? Uh, no. So we do not sell venomous out of the storefront. Um, okay. I, I don't think that that's a, a good thing to do in our community. Um, and I don't know that anybody is capable. Mm-hmm. The people who have come in here interested in a rattlesnake are nowhere near capable or competent in the keeping of a rattlesnake. Right. Um, yeah, that's not really I, an impulse purchase. I know they're, they're definitely not. Um, and I've, I've talked to a few people who are like, oh yeah, I used to keep them back in the day. And I'm like, oh, okay, like you kept them in a 20 gallon fish tank with bricks. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, no. It just seems like a lot of the people who have a fascination with like rattlesnakes or with other venomous that they would see in your storefront that would want to just come get them, like are more interested in the shock factor over like the actual care and keeping of the animal. Absolutely. And it, it seems like that's kind of the trend is everybody wants, they want a, a big fierce python, you know, yeah. or something that puts on a lot of weight and is a big snake, or they want that rattlesnake for that iconic uh, strike kind of posing and the tail rattling. And it's like, that's yeah. not really why we keep them. Yeah. Like, and everyone, everyone thinks they're the exception. Like, oh, I'm the exception. Like it won't bite me or I'll become its friend. And it's like, you're never the exception. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, you're usually the guideline. You're yeah. Yeah. And that's something you guys are, um, you said that you keep up to Florida standards with your venomous room. Is that something that you decided because you like Florida standards Were you asked to do so? What was your uh, decision-making in that regard? Uh, well, so we are originally from Florida. We used to live mm-hmm. in Tampa, Florida. Um, and that's where we first started keeping snakes. Uh, and then I found, um, NPR radio, um, mm-hmm. podcast. And started listening to NPR when we had two corn snakes and a ball python. Oh, wow. And then we went to the first carpet fest that was in Cape Coral at Dave Palumbo's mm-hmm. and met Cody and Pia and Ian Bissell and a ton of other people. And it just, it just spiraled from there. Yeah. Um, we moved to, we moved to Ocala after that mm-hmm. and started going to visit Cody and Pia quite frequently. Um, got a little bit of experience with some of the, like the mambas and just watching Cody work mambas and cobras and the gaboons. Uh, and just absolutely fell in love with the venomous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really loved that level of safety and security and just proper procedure that he went through every time with making sure that he was mentally prepared to take care of the animals, um, always had his tools, was always walking us through what he was doing. And done properly, venomous keeping is very boring. Yeah. And that's um, how it should be. <laughs> But so we decided that that was the standards we were going to have at the store because we wanted to be that next level pet store. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you don't just come here and buy a pet and buy your feeders. You also get education here for all ages. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, like I said, we were doing um, classes for boys and girls club before COVID. 
they had mm-hmm. a, a STEM program and we were doing like a, a snake day for them. And it was mm-hmm. really well received. So I want to do an all ages class and just do like an introductory meet the species kind of thing. People can come in, um, hold a rat snake, hold a ball python, uh, meet a leopard gecko or a bearded dragon and just kind of see that these animals aren't like creepy, crawly, slimy monsters. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just animals. Yeah. I love being the person who like has someone hold a snake for the first time. It's always such a cool experience. Cause you know, I never force my animals on anyone, obviously, because that's like the number one way to like perpetuate a fear. But when you get to have like my friends come over and they hold a snake for the first time, they're like, Oh my God, it's, it's not slimy. It's not that creepy. And I'm like, yeah, it's not like, I've been telling you this, but now you're listening. And that's phenomenal. So I wanted to ask, we dove right in, which was amazing. And I loved that first story you told, but I think there's a lot of background that is really important to when you get into starting a business. Um, and you talked about it a little bit, like getting involved in listening to NPR, but so Amanda, you and Dallas are a couple and did you get into snakes together or was this something that you grew up with? How did your keeping journey start when it came to these animals? So in high school, one of my friends had a ball python and a Burmese python. Mm -hmm. And those are the first two snakes I ever met. And I absolutely fell in love with the Burmese, just the the size and just how friendly and easygoing it was. It wasn't one of those crazy, like wild caught, crazy berms. Um, But my, my grandparents were deathly afraid of snakes. And they were like, no, like you can't have one of those as a pet. Like having a dog was a stretch. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so we really, I didn't really start keeping snakes until our, well, how old was I? We were what, 20? Yeah, we've been keeping for about six years. Um, and it was, it was kind of a combined effort. We were looking at different animals to have as a pet. We wanted mm-hmm. something that was low maintenance because we were both working full time. And we were living in the upstairs portion of the house. So we didn't want it to be something where we had to like always run downstairs and like try to sneak out late at night to like walk a dog. Right. Um, and we came across snakes and we're like, all right, well, corn snake or ball python, which way do we go? Mm-hmm. And so we went with corn snakes. I think that's a solid beginner species. And we got, of course, one male and one female. And we started, uh, he had picked out a caramel, was it caramel honey, a caramel sun-kissed tessera. And I got an anery tessera mm-hmm. and we raised them up. And a couple of years later we bred them uh, and I have one of their babies left. And so he's about old enough to breed with a, a, an anery female that we have. So mm-hmm. I can make more anery tesseras. Uh, but yeah, it just became the two and then a ball python and then a carpet python. And then we went to Daytona for the first time and bought 23 more. <laughs> yeah, um, it's dangerous Daytona. I, I think if I ever like live close enough to one of those big shows where I can drive, it will be problematic because right now I fly to the big shows, so I can't take much home, you know? <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's financially responsible. <laughs> yeah. Our I first, mean, the other our... things I do aren't as financially responsible, but like, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't help that that first year we bought three racks from Ian and each one of them held, uh, nine large tubs or 18 small tubs. Oh, we just jumped gosh. right in. Yeah. So when you, uh, what was the process like for when you got those first corn snakes to when you decided to breed them? How did you like learn about breeding or was just kind of something you just, you put them together? Like what was that process? Uh, well, so we did, you know, the standard, like we got our tanks, we got the tanks set up and running. And then, um, there was a Repticon 
in uh, Sarasota. So we're like, all right, our tanks are running. Everything is good. The temperatures are great. Now let's go pick out our snakes. So we went and did that, picked them out. Um, and then it was just nonstop, like YouTube videos and reading all of the books we could get our hands on. Um, breeding wasn't really something we thought about until they were like probably two years old. And we're mm -hmm. like, well, they're almost adults because we had a male and a female thinking maybe one day we would breed them. But then they, they started to get to, to that older age and we're like, well, let's see what happens. And we looked into how to do it and everything. And um, Dallas just kind of put them together on a whim to see what would happen. Mm -hmm. And they locked immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and then we got 13 eggs Wow, that were all good. Um, we had some incubation issues where we just were keeping the, the media way too wet. So we only had seven of them hatch. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I still have five of the six babies that we sold. I still con like have contact with the people that bought them. Mm -hmm. um, they send me updates or like, I'll reach out to them and check in. Um, some of yeah. them have become repeat customers. Oh, that's um, awesome. But we still have the very first baby that hatched and his name is Auburn. And he's just a normal Tessera het for everything. Yeah. Um, and but what yeah, was, was your education? Sorry. Well, and what was your education level of morphs at that point? Were you just going for what was pretty? Did you have an idea in mind? We just kind of looked at what was on the table. Uh, and of course yeah. it was Lee Abbott. So he had a great selection of animals, but we were just kind of looking at them back and forth and we're like, well, this one's pretty. And that one's pretty. And we had no idea how any of the genetics worked. We're like, he picked out a pretty yellow one. I picked out the, uh, the anery and I'm like, all right. I'm like, well, these are cool. We'll get these. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It's like mixing paint. You're like, I'm not totally sure what this color is going to be, but whatever. So when did you guys start having a conversation about transitioning this from a hobby to more of a career? Um, probably about two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, we started vending shows more frequently. Um, and just over, over the last six years, we've just been making friends all over that breed different things and uh, whether it's frogs or spiders or snakes mm -hmm. um, and just meeting people along the way. Every time we had an opportunity to meet somebody new, we'd be like, Hey, let's grab dinner and let's chat about animals. And um, we'd kicked around the idea of doing more than just the expo circuits um, of opening a pet store full-time and doing something more that more geared towards what we wanted to do with our lives than just working retail. Mm -hmm. Um we both worked for Publix. Uh, Dallas worked there for five years. I was with them for 15 years. Oh, wow. Uh, so that gave us the opportunity to start the store. Um, I retired in March and pulled out my retirement and put it into uh, the company. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's definitely a big, uh, that's a big jump. And I, okay. So we have a lot of questions that come up in the female herpers group about people wanting to start businesses. And, and so a lot of the questions I'm going to ask are going to be from those posts that were made, um, the posts that were made. And then the post I made about having you on as a guest. Um, so a lot of people were asking about how COVID impacted the timeline of your business. So was the goal always to open in 2021 or were you hoping to get beforehand or afterwards? Was it like, but what did that look like from a strategic standpoint? So we kind of lucked out in that aspect. Um, when COVID was like really a big issue, I was still working at Publix. Um, I was the assistant meat manager and I just, it got to the point where I was working 60, 65 hours a week. My store manager would come in and say, look, you've worked too many hours. You need to go home right now. 
and I'd be like, but we're not done yet. And he's like, no, no, go home. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until probably the end of the year, like December, January, I started to just mentally get burnt out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I took leave for a little while and kind of reevaluated things. And I was like, all right, now's the time we need to go forward with our mm-hmm. own business. I was like, I'm, I'm going to quit my job or I'm going to light the place on fire. Like we got to go. Yeah. I need to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got some friends that run pet stores uh, in different States. Um, Chance chick who runs uh, Gator city reptiles down in Gainesville, Florida. Um, and then uh, Stephen Shannon spear up in Marietta, Georgia have been a huge influence. Um, Steve was awesome. We could call him, we could stop in and just pick his brain for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, he was more impacted by COVID than we were, but it seemed to work out in his benefit because mm-hmm. everybody was staying home. They were buying more animals. So yeah. business really picked up for him. Um, the only issues that I've really seen have been, uh, supplier issues because, um, there was a, a glass shortage or every once in a while we have a hiccup still where there's, um, fake plants aren't available or water dishes aren't available. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really lucky that we came into the tail end of it and we're starting to see everything get back to being fully available. So when you are choosing what you're going to have in your store, are you pulling from your experience of, of products you already use? How are you deciding what you want to be selling to people? Um, as far as animals, um, I am trying to stick to more common species. Um, mm-hmm. I try not to carry anything that's native to the state only because I worry that somebody's going to think I'm selling them a wild caught animal or someone's going to be like, yeah, I don't really want this anymore. And just turn it loose out their back door. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if it's a non-native species, people really kind of reconsider whether or not they want to do something like that. So like box turtles here are protected. So I have central American wood turtles instead. Okay. They're yeah. almost identical. The care is similar, but they're different enough that people who know what they are know that they're different. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got, you know, your staple bearded dragons, um, blue tongue skinks have been pretty popular here. Um, mm-hmm. various, uh, tree frogs. Um, Dallas is currently working on building a dart frog enclosure. Oh, that'll be so uh, cool. Yeah. What it's, a fun, it's I, this just sounds like a fun job. <laughs> it, it is, but it's, it, it's hard. Because we were open 11 to seven, five days a week. We take Monday mm-hmm. and Tuesday for ourselves, mm-hmm. but we're here from nine o'clock in the morning, sometimes until nine o'clock at night. Yeah. And those might be days where we hardly make any money. So we're really working for like $2 a, an hour. Right. <laughs> but it's definitely a labor of love. Have you found that you've had, I mean, granted you've been only open for a couple months, but how are you working to ensure that you don't get burnt out with like your passion for the animals? Cause I know I've heard of people talking of when they make it a career, it becomes harder to care for them. Like it was when it was a hobby. Um, and that's a, that's a really good question. I think I could just talk snakes until people fall asleep around me and I'd still, they'd wake up and I'd still be talking snakes. Yeah. Um, I, I just blah, diarrhea of the mouth with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, 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 always been something that I've been interested in, especially these last six, seven years, we've just really dove headfirst into it. Um, mm-hmm. I like having, we have different customers that come in, whether it's, um, older adults who do keep animals or, um, they bring their grandkids in and their, their kids love the animals, but they're kind of like, well, I don't really know how I feel about these. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always a fun opportunity to be like, Hey, let me pull out this snake. If you're comfortable with it let me talk to you about it. Yeah. 
Okay. I like to lead in with, um, snakes, uh, scales are made out of keratin, like our nails. Mm-hmm. So like when you feel your fingernails, they're not slimy. So that's how the snakes feel. They're not going to feel slimy. It's just kind of cooler. That's um, a very good one. I'm going to use that one. I'm putting yeah, that in the mental, in the mental library. Thank you very much, Amanda. That was a really good yeah. one. Because <laughs> um, I always have a hard time explaining that to kids at shows. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, different size snakes have different size scales. So they feel different as well. So I've got a, a king snake that I'll bring out and then I have the ball python. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually I have a, uh, an adult Sumatran short tail that's like four and a half feet long, but she's like 16 pounds and she's big and chunky. Yeah. Um, and she's just, she's really, we can't have the large constrictors here. Um, mm-hmm. they've banned the tegus, the berms, the retakes and all of that here as well. Mm-hmm. So that's the next best thing I can have to like that really big showstopper of an animal. Yeah. So with those bands that are occurring, um, have you noticed at all that people are trying to give you animals that are now not allowed or are they dropping any off to you or any of that? Um, not so much the things that are banned. Um, mm-hmm. We do have a few customers that come in that own things that are on the list and they aren't aware of what the current laws are. Um, so I just try to educate them, you know, not, not beat them down and not say, oh, how dare you own this? It's illegal, but just let them know like, Hey, this animal is on this list. Um, this is something that you should look into. Here's the website for us arc. I strongly Mm -hmm. encourage you to read through and consider joining, um, Mm -hmm. because they try to fight all these laws. Um, and most of the time they're really receptive and they're really understanding. And they're like, oh, I had no idea. Let me educate myself on this. I do have animals brought in every once in a while. Um, whether it's a, a leopard gecko that somebody's kids don't want to take care of anymore or a bearded dragon that's just severely neglected. Um, we do take in surrenders. Mm-hmm. Um, they get, they get a, a quarantine, a trip to the vet. And then I'm really extra selective on who they get placed with mm-hmm. because they've already been through that neglect. I want to make sure it's not going to happen again. Right. Um, so that's one of the really what- nice things about being in business for myself is I can tell people, no, I don't think you need this animal. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so important. And that's, I wish we could do that more often. Cause I look back on like all the hermit crabs I had as a kid or the leopard gecko. And it's like, I wish someone kind of told me I shouldn't have had that because I didn't care for it. Well, you know, and it sucks. You live and you learn. And I feel like we all probably killed some animals to get where we are, but like, hopefully that we'll get to a generation of keepers that didn't have to go through that, that struggle with their animals before they got to this level. So with the animals that you do have, um, I know with stores, you're often getting from like a wide variety of areas. What is your quarantine process? Like, how do you ensure that you're not only like selling healthy animals, but you're bringing in animals and, and letting animals out that are going to further like the hobby in a, in a beneficial way and have a good name for yourself. Right. Um, so, um, current quarantine here at the shop is a little different than at the house because the space here is limited. Mm-hmm. Um, but I basically every animal that comes in, um, visually inspected for mites, um, ticks, any kind of, um, parasite on the external that I could see, everything is getting treated for mites. And then those animals, they, we use a frontline spray and I'll put on gloves and Dallas will pin the animal and we'll, we'll frontline them and then put them in a, a bin. And then the next day they'll get water. We have a local reptile vet. So if I think there's anything wrong with the animal, I'll just give him a call and be like, Hey, I need to schedule, you know, an appointment to bring in an animal for you to look at. Mm -hmm. Um, 
luckily I, my local vet's awesome. He'll do just about anything I need. Um, he'll even see the rattlesnakes if we absolutely need to bring them in. That is nice. Um, vet. <laughs> we try to get everything eating consistently on frozen thawed before we sell it. At that point, if the owner, if the new owner wants to switch it over to live, they're welcome to, but mm-hmm. we always do point out the benefits of frozen thawed um, and the dangers of a live feeding, especially mm-hmm. if the animal isn't hungry. Yeah. In the future, um, I'm looking at getting a microscope and learning how to test for cryptosporidium in fecal matter. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had um, we've had mites, we've had crypto, we've had nidovirus, and we've had animals just mysteriously die in the collection over the years. So mm-hmm. we have I like to think I have a pretty good idea of what we're looking for mm-hmm. and how to prevent it. Um, but as far as um, as far as sourcing out those animals initially. We are lucky to have that, that network of people from, Mm -hmm. I'd say like Texas, Louisiana, South Florida, all the way over to the Carolinas. And I I try to go through people that we know, uh, Mm -hmm. people we've worked with them before. Um, Like all of my hog noses, for example, they all come out of North Alabama because we have a good friend up that way that breeds them. Um, So I could just make a phone call and be like, Hey buddy, like we need a couple more hog noses. And he's like, sure. How many do you want? And he tells us how much and ships them down to us. Um, try not to deal with any of the, the big box wholesalers, um, just because I know that they're just kind of puppy milling and I'd rather get good quality animals in. We recently had a customer who bought a bearded dragon, was coming in to buy a bearded dragon, Mm -hmm. saw our prices and decided they would get it cheaper elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And I told them, I said, absolutely. I was like, if that's the choice you want to make, go for it. If you need anything, we're here. Um, I do have all the feeders you would need for that animal, as well as I can recommend the vegetables and the fruit and greens that it will need to eat. Yeah. And they went and they looked and they bought a little bitty bearded dragon and month went by and it wasn't doing very well and it passed and they, they came back and they looked at ours and they started reevaluating whether or not they wanted to spend the extra money with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had eventually decided that they did. Um, mm-hmm. And we got them sourced out the color that they wanted, whether they wanted like a red or the the yellow. And they were, you know, they, they came in, they, they kind of, I think, had a better understanding that spending that extra money ensured that they were getting the quality of the animal that they wanted originally. Right. Um, but then they also get, you know, our constant customer service. We will answer our phones almost any hour of the day, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a text, a phone call, a Facebook. Um, Cause I always want to make sure that the animals are being taken care of. Mm-hmm. And then what kind of guarantees do you have on the animals that you're providing? Do you have like a 24 hour, you know, like guaranteed alive or anything like that? Typically all sales are final. Um, we do guarantee that everything is, is eating um, frozen thawed unless stated otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't really had any issues with, um, with animals dying or getting ill. Um, mm-hmm. If, if something like that does come up, of course, we do want to work with them and try to either figure out what went wrong. Um, if their husbandry is all on, you know, spot on, then maybe it was a, a freak accident. Maybe something, what the animal had something that we missed um, mm-hmm. and try to get it replaced. Um, we actually had a customer who they bought a ball python and had her for three or four days. Um, and she was nippy and they were like, you know, I really don't think this is the animal for us. 
And so we told them, we're like, yeah, absolutely. You know, bring her back in. Um, let's, let's walk around the store. Let's talk and let's see what else we could find for you that might be a better fit. And so we walked around for a little bit. We hung out, we talked for probably two hours. Um, and he eventually decided to switch out the ball Python for a leopard gecko. And so now I'm, I get like weekly updates about this little leopard gecko in her enclosure. And like, he'll send me pictures of her, like just hunting bugs and running around. And mm-hmm. so that's like the best when you get, an, uh, when the person you give the animal to or sell the animal to has the passion for it and you can tell, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, like, it was a really good fit for him. Good. That's the most rewarding feeling. Sorry. My cat's being a bitch. <laughs> yeah. You. <laughs> Are you tired of changing a reptile's UVB light every six months? Well, VivTech products has the perfect bulb for you. The VivTech SureSun series UVB and UVA bulb has a typical four-year lifespan with no UVB degradation. That means that your pet will always have the UVB and UVA they need, all while you save up to $400 over the life of the bulb. VivTech, providing a better life for reptiles in our homes and the wild through innovative husbandry. Enjoy the rest of the episode. So then when it comes to actually like the logistics of starting a pet store, I have some questions about that. So how did you go about like your first step? Was it obtaining your licenses? Was it finding a property? Where was like that? Okay, we want to start a reptile store. Now what? What was the what? (laughs) So, um, I have a lot of really great information on this, what to do, what not to do. Perfect. Um, Put it all out there. So if you want, you know, what if we were comfortable with this? <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I'll share as much as, as much as helps. Uh, so we decided in February, we're like, that's it. Let's go ahead and start our LLC. Let's get this formed. And we used one of those online services. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, Looking back on it, I really, if if anybody listening wants to do a business, please find a human who can help you (laughs) because the online thing was an absolute nightmare. Mm -hmm. They, they set you up and they get you, they get all your information and they start all your processing, but then you get a registered agent and the registered Mm -hmm. agent, like all my mail would go to them and they would never send it to me. So like I had all these fees that needed to be paid, but I didn't know because I wasn't getting the mail. Yeah. Um, and in the state of Alabama, you can just get an attorney and an attorney will help you file all of it for a nominal fee. It's probably, mm-hmm. probably would have been the same using a website versus using a human. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to get, um, state county and city licensing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know somebody had asked about a pet dealer's license Yeah, uh, in the state of Alabama. We are not required to have any special licensing to sell, uh, pets. Do you have to have any? Do you have to have any of that licensing to cross state lines? Like if you want to ship anything, are you able to do that? Um, I don't believe so. Um, I mean, I we've been shipping through Morph Market for years. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we have our, just about our whole lineup of animals in the store on on Morph Market as well. But yeah, we uh, I haven't had any problems with that. Um, we just know we definitely have our list of species that we're not allowed to carry. Mm-hmm. Being, you know, all of the, uh, the Lacey Act animals. Um, and then we made the moral decision not to sell venomous out of the storefront because I just, I, bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a, we have a really good insurance policy in plan, uh, in place. It's a, uh, like a 1 million, 2 million policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that basically covers, um, 
in-store liability as far as rental insurance on the property because we don't own the building. We're just renting, mm-hmm. um, which when you go to look for a building, look for everything that could possibly be wrong with the building. Look for leaky roofs. Look for light ballasts that don't work. Um, I actually have a I have a meeting tomorrow to try to get everything fixed in my building that I've mm-hmm. been trying to get fixed for like the last six months because yeah. we've been in the building since May and we weren't able to open until July because we were having so many problems. Oh goodness. Uh, and it's still an ongoing battle. Um, so when you were, when you were looking to get a building, um, were you finding any landlords who wouldn't work with you due to the nature of what you were selling? Um, no. And that's only because there was only two properties available in my budget and both of them are owned by the same person. <laughs> um, and that's he's, nice. uh, he's a really interesting guy. Um, and that's a, yeah. So the store's name is Wiregrass Exotics. Mm-hmm. That's it. No, like Pets and Supplies isn't part of the legal name. It's not on the windows. So we have people who drive by and our windows are tinted because the sun comes up in the window and just superheats the store. Right. So we have really nice privacy film. Well, we've had people come by and ask if we are an adult toy store, if we're <laughs> exotic dancers, if we're, I had a guy come in the other morning um, asking me, showing me a picture on his phone of like, hey, do you guys have this vape battery here? And I'm like, sir, this is a pet store. <laughs> like, do they not notice when they walk in? I, no idea. Like he walked in, went straight to me and I was like, hey, good morning. And he's like, do you have this? He's showing me his phone. I'm like, sir, this is a pet store. It's like, and well, he looked around and he's like, oh, he's like, somebody told me it was a vape store. I was like, no, sir, that's two blocks down. Well, the good thing is now you have all these ex- like options if you want to diversify. Like you can become the Wiregrass Empire, right? Like I'm just putting oh, it out yeah. there, you know? <laughs> well, and so Wiregrass Exotics uh, was the name we settled on. Um, Dallas chose it and I love it. Uh, I didn't like it at first. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I was like, that sounds too generic because everything in our area is the Wiregrass. We have Wiregrass music, Wiregrass mental what health. What is Wiregrass? So it is, it is an area considered um, the Wiregrass area and it's the like Southeast part of Alabama and a little bit of like the Western edge of Georgia and like a little tiny bit of Florida. Okay. And it's um, like the region. Is yeah, it an actual plant? Probably. I, I haven't done my homework on that. I'm Googling it. This is why I have two monitors up. So when I ask dumbass questions, I can Google it. Oh yeah. It's, so it's like a big floofy grass. That's exactly what it is. That's probably the best description I'm looking at now. Yeah, that's the best description I could do. It's like almost like a, it's like, you know what pompous grass is? Kind of. It's like used in weddings. It's got that little like at the top of it. It's a grass. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, like it's that with like the fluff. Giant floofy plants and they're just. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that around that. here. Yeah. The pompous grass. That's like the, that's like the new thing in weddings nowadays. Okay. Cause I'm at the age where everyone's getting married and it's like very scary for me personally. Um, and there's so much grass, <laughs> all these weddings. <laughs> we got married at a courthouse. Um, we actually, our, our wedding, uh, officiant was the, uh, the bail bonds office next to the Starbucks in Ocala. Uh, the best day, best day ever married in jeans and a t-shirt with a donut and a coffee. Like it was amazing. That sounds great. I, it, it's funny. Cause I, 
you know, I'm going to all these weddings now. And like, on the one hand, I'm getting all of these incredible ideas for amazing weddings. But on the other hand, I just had one of my friends elope in Glacier National Park. And oh, those wow. pictures are better than any wedding I've been to. <laughs> like I was looking at it and I was like, Jenna, you're a goddess. And I'm like, maybe I want to do that. But also I like good, I like a good conga line. Sue me. Okay. Getting back on track. Um, <laughs> so when you have the building, um, what were the necessities that you needed within a building to like have the store? Were you looking, did you have to take in consideration any sort of water or electricity usage because of what you'd be powering? Absolutely. So our biggest issue was we wanted a good size sale floor. Um, I wasn't too concerned with the back room because if we had mm-hmm. enough sales floor, we wouldn't have back stock stuff back there. Right. Um, so I've got a 1300 square foot showroom mm-hmm. uh, and that includes the venomous room. And then we have like a, it used to be a double stall bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where we keep our crickets and our frozen feeders. We've got two refrigerators in there with the air conditioning unit and a cricket bin. And then mm-hmm. the back hall is just big enough that we have a mess sink and um, four rodent racks and a dubia rack and a handful of supplies. Um, so overall, I think we were sitting on 1,800 square feet, just a little over. Yeah. Um, but one of my biggest concerns was a parking lot because the other building that was available had like three parallel parking spaces and that was it. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's not going to work. Um, and where I'm at now, the parking lots, it's big enough that a 53 foot truck can pull in if he can drive just right to squeeze in yeah um but we're we're offset from the road like it's not quite parallel but it's like we're canted back and Mm -hmm. we're at the very end of the unit so people drive past us all the time and miss it mostly because the landlord won't cut the bushes down short enough that people can see us it's probably the wire grass but that's on my list for tomorrow. Yeah, perfect. Um, we did small we fire spend... in front of Wiregrass Exotics, and the landscaping just is all gone. Yeah, you don't tempt me. I've been like, let's put some diesel on it and just <laughs> fire. I won't tell um, anyone. <laughs> just this is off the record. <laughs> uh, yeah, theoretical fire. I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> but we did. We spent. Uh, we spent about two thousand dollars getting the building um, wired and plumbed the way that we wanted it. Mm-hmm. Um, having water pipes moved, um, having extra lighting installed into the venomous room, into the back room, into the hall room, um, hanging an extra emergency exit sign, um, because the, we only have a front exit. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the back room and the power goes out, you have no idea where the doors are. Yeah. That's uh, scary. We've got two fire extinguishers, one at the front door, one in the back. I didn't really account for how expensive the air conditioning would be that's another thing to really take into consideration when you look at a building to go into business for yourself is Mm -hmm. bring a ladder, pop open one of these ceiling tiles and look to see if it's insulated. Look to see if the wall in the back goes all the way to the top. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a lot of issue because the the sales floor is air conditioned, but the Mm -hmm. back room is not. So all of the heat from the back room goes up Mm -hmm. into the ceiling and over and heats up all of the ducting. Mm -hmm. So the air conditioning is always running. So the building is only like, 78 and you're there that's, all day that's where we that's where i keep my house too though oh yeah we set it to 76 at night but it's 78 during the day you're a lizard person yes well i worked in the meat department for 15 years and it's like 45 degrees back there yeah so 
being out into the warmth is delightful. I love it. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's like, wow. What a strange dichotomy. Did you have to wear like a huge coat and stuff? Um, I had uh, I had business attire. I had like slacks and a, a button down polo, but I usually wore um, a jacket on top of it. Yeah. And um, like a, like a rash guard thermal kind of under shirt. Yeah. So and, like, when I seemed to help. When I worked at the um, aquarium, I worked with the penguins and obviously like this is very different, but I was in the penguin enclosure and it's like so embarrassing because they required me to wear these like giant. I looked like I was venturing into Antarctica, like for real. It was this giant orange suit that was like overalled. It was like three sizes too big. I looked like a bright orange marshmallow man and whenever I had friends come visit the aquarium like I'd get off shift and see that that image of me handing out like mackerel was like on someone's Instagram story and I was like god damn it (laughs) but it's the only thing that kept you warm because you're in there and it gets so goddamn cold and you feel it in your bones after a while Mm -hmm. yeah so when you are worried like excuse me when you're working to like budget for something like this did you have any sort of like okay if xyz happens we'll be okay because we have like a safety net or were you running pretty lean to begin with um so i i like to think that we're really good at finances but um i am not a responsible adult we literally were just flying by the seat of our pants at one point where we're like Mm -hmm we might have enough money to pay the mortgage this month. Yeah. Yeah. So Dallas likes, he's just saying, um, we put all of our eggs in one basket and then walked through the Legos. <laughs> That's a good saying. And I, I hope you don't mind me asking. I'm not trying to pry. I'm just, you know, this is like, I wouldn't think that all of the air conditioning would be like fucked. You know, you've got a new place or uh, you had a storefront. You don't think about that or plan for that. So what, besides things like that, like what were your biggest obstacles to actually starting and opening the store? Well, we definitely had to have, um, we had to have the, what's his name? Who's the, who's the guy? The inspector. We had to have the building inspector come through and he had to sign off on everything. So the roof leaks on the breaker box, which is, you know, kind of a fire hazard, just, just a like little. a little bit, but like, um, if it's leaking enough, we'll just put out the fire. Duh. Yeah. And I've only, I've <laughs> been asking to have the roof fixed and his guys have come in and fixed it a few times. Um, side note, security cameras are the jam. That's what you need in life yeah. because we came in one day last week and the lights were on and I was like, Oh crap. Who was in the building? And sure enough, the maintenance guys came in and they came in and they were supposed to be working on the roof. Mm -hmm. So I immediately go into crisis mode and start checking to make sure that every animal is accounted for. Yeah. And luckily everything was still here. Um, Dallas immediately runs and goes in the back room and gets on the cameras and is Mm -hmm. checking to see, um, because the cameras only record motion. So we were able to narrow down who was where, when. Mm -hmm. Um, But his two guys came in and they went into the back and they got on the ladder and they spray foamed the hole in the roof that's still leaking because it rained today. Mm-hmm. And then they spent 38 minutes inside of the building wandering around staring at the animals. 
<sighs> there, like there were some choice words screamed at the top of my lungs. Um, Dallas had to make a phone call to the owner because we're like, dude, no, never again. That's so dangerous. Um, we Just- we are... We are a family that carries firearms and knows how to use them. Yeah. And that could have ended poorly. Yeah. Because if they'd still been there. Oh my God. That's also just like fucking disrespectful. Uh, Diaz is one of those like instant blood boiling. Like, how dare you? Yeah. And it's not, okay. You're here for education. You do have some show animals. You're not a zoo. You're not an aquarium, you know, like it's not. I don't know. I would just be really pissed if someone, I guess that's something you probably have to deal with is that people just come in and just look at animals all day. Yeah. Well, and so that night before those guys had come in, we had set up those 13 baby timbers in a, um, a six court rack. Mm-hmm. No oh my God. And if, if they, they opened it, to, mm-hmm, they walked up to them, they stared at them and they walked away from them. But I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, would my insurance have covered that? Like, because I don't want my insurance to cover that because they didn't have what they, they weren't allowed to be in the building. Like that oh. should have totally been on them. So that's why I was like promptly losing my shit. Dallas was like, sit down, calm down. Let me call the owner. Um, it's just, it, yeah, it's been, and it's been a ride that has like, my heart rate is so high. <laughs> just imagining. Yeah. And that's, uh, he brought up another good point. Um, that is one of the biggest things we had was everything was very last minute with trying to get open. We wanted mm-hmm. to open uh, first week of June and the building wasn't ready and the suppliers kept taking their sweet time getting our accounts ready. Mm-hmm. Um, we went through one supplier um, and it was the first and last time we will ever use them mm-hmm. because the inflation, because they're kind of like a third party, um, yeah. but for the amount of money that we spent with them to get the store ready and the lack of products that we had to open. I had no feeding tongs. Um, I had light bulbs. I had light bulbs for days, but mm-hmm. I hardly had anything else like plants, water dishes, everything else was super sparse. I didn't have thermostats. I hardly had any heat pads. Mm-hmm. Um, but going through my other accounts that I have set up now, um, I can get so much more product for less mm-hmm. that I can stock the store better. Um, so what, when you were picking out who your distributors were going to be, was it kind of just a, like a guessing game? Were you going off of the recommendations of your friends? How did you choose like where you were getting your products from? So I had, uh, I reached out to chance and mm-hmm. I reached out to Steve and I asked them, I said, Hey guys, this, we're all in the same area. I said, who do you use for suppliers? Mm-hmm. Who, you know, what, what vendors do you use? Um, which vendors do you recommend for certain things and which vendors do you not use? Because you, you signed up with them and then you realize like, Hey, they don't really have anything. Yeah. Um, and I have a few vendors that I've signed up with and I've looked over their catalogs and I will probably never hit their minimum to make an mm-hmm. order. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we've got, uh, I try to make sure that we carry a good variety of enclosures and accessories. Um, mm-hmm. I got, we've got high-end things like Exoterra tanks, and then we've got, um, slide lid Zilla tanks. You know, we've got ball pythons that are $90. We've got ball pythons that are $700. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of my, my most important thing was being able for everybody to come in and get a pet at a different budget. And then do you have with these animals that you're selling, 
do you have care guides that you've developed? Are you following like certain husbandry standards or, or how do you, I know, I know one of the things you said is that you, you vet them to make sure that they're going to be like a competent keeper, right? What are your standards for such? Are you asking them about their care before they buy the animal? Um, so usually we start off with just a couple questions. Um, you know, what kind of animals are you interested in? What kind of animals have you uh, read up on? Mm-hmm. And just kind of give them a chance to impress us. If they, if they know a whole bunch, then we're like, you know, all right, cool. Like you've really been doing your homework. Like let's move forward with trying to see, you know, what animal you're really interested in honing in on and setting up. Right. Um, and trying to explain to them, you know, this, you know, this ball python is going to live for potentially 20 years. Are you ready for that kind of investment? Mm-hmm. You know, this is not a two-year pet that's going to, you know, it's not a hamster. It's not going to die in two years and you just move on. Right. You know, it's a, it's a, the upfront cost on average is anywhere from two to $400, depending on the animal you want to set up and how you want it set up. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a couple of different care guides that we print out depending on what animals being purchased. Um, I have one for bearded dragons, for example, that's like two pages long mm-hmm. of the protein to vegetable ratio, depending on how old they are. Um, yeah. the staples, the occasional things. And then of course the things that they should avoid and never feed to their bearded dragons, like, um, mm-hmm rhubarb and those avocados i didn't know you couldn't feed rhubarb yeah Is i think poisonous? those were the ones i think those were the ones that were considered toxic hmm. uh, but then like tomatoes and spinach are like a sparingly thing yeah you know i've seen to have the same diet as a bearded dragon i rarely eat rhubarb not a big spinach gal you know wow see a heat bulb <laughs> so then okay with selling animals and such I know that there are certain requirements that come with having the venomous, even if you're not selling them, but as a pet store, are there any sort of inspections that you are required outside of like normal store shit? Um, so I don't even have anybody, honestly, that comes into the store and is like, you're doing a great job. Or like, this isn't up to code. Like I'm right. kind of disappointed that like the fire marshal hasn't even come in and been like, why do you have so many extension cords? Which <laughs> I'll call we, him we, for you. No, I'll call don't. Billy Hunt. Like, okay, hey, Billy, can you head up and, and tell Amanda how she's doing? <laughs> so um, as far as inspections, um, we really don't have anything that really is something that um, is looked at. Like we don't have a health food score or anything crazy like that. Um, mm-hmm. It is kind of weird though, is that, so I need permits to keep an Eastern diamond back for education, mm-hmm. but you know, whoever down the street can go run one over and kill it and sell it at a hardware store a town or two over for ten dollars a foot so what wait whether or not yeah if you want to leave this in or take this out totally cool i'll leave Um, this in because i'm fascinated yeah so they are protected but they're not Mm -hmm. um the state doesn't do anything to protect the eastern diamondback Mm -hmm. um except for make me jump through hoops to own one um, so, so why I'm would the, they sell a dead one for the skin trade? Okay. They pay, they pay $10 a foot. It has to be a minimum of three feet long. And mm-hmm. all they want it for is the skin. Um, and I think that's honestly why we never see them when we're either road cruising or going to a relocation call. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. It, it, it sucks. Um, but I do have, um, I have a pair waiting for us in a facility out of state. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the, the non-game warden coming down from uh, Montgomery 
to inspect our facility and to see mm-hmm. the um, the Rattlesnake Conservancy program that we're going to be offering and mm-hmm. just kind of sit with her and show her like, hey, we're really responsible people. Like our animals are locked up safely. I would really like to have this animal because it's so iconic. Right. And I think it really makes a good impression on people when they can physically see and hear the mm-hmm. animal. It kind of mm-hmm. imprints on them and they're like, oh, okay, well, that's one of those. Yeah. So I've spoken to a couple of people who've worked with rattlesnakes, um, specifically out West who have done snake aversion training for dogs and rattlesnakes. Is there any need for things like that in your area or, and are there any organizations that do it? So, um, I love that you brought that up. We actually have a customer that, um, wants to get with us and work on, um, a program. He's a dog oh, trainer. Awesome. He's been doing it for years. Um, his name is Ken Levowitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? Heart of Dixie. I think it's Heart of Dixie or Dixieland training. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to get his card so I can. Um, but he's he's awesome. He comes in. Um, he's from the Andalusia Andalusia area. Mm-hmm. About an hour, hour and a half from us. Um, he comes in weekly and we just, we chat and he likes to come in and look at the snakes. Uh, but he's really interested in having one of us come out and handle the snakes um, in proximity mm-hmm. to the dogs that he's training mm-hmm. so that he can teach the dogs to stay away from the snakes. Yeah. Um, well, you should definitely reach out to, um, it was Chelsea Richardson. I'll, and I can send you this info also. Um, so Chelsea Richardson was the first person I spoke with who did this and she's out in Arizona and then the other one was Dr. Emily Taylor and okay. she is in uh, California and she does it. And I think it's, it's so interesting and, you know, important if you're in an area where you might encounter rattlesnakes, I mean, we know the rattle, but a dog doesn't inherently know what the rattle is. So I think that's, that's really cool. And such a, such a phenomenal program that people are running. So we've talked a lot about like some of the obstacles that you've come into, uh, getting started, but what are like Joe Rosa asked the question, what has been the greatest joy of starting your business? And I think that's such an awesome question because I'm sure there's a lot of ups and downs, but like, tell me about some of the ups. What are some of the things that you've found to be most impactful starting this business? Um, it's, I like that I make my own schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, so we have some, some regular customers of ours that, um, they run a local jujitsu gym, mm-hmm. um, a town over, um, and nine times they've been in our store like 10 times. And of those nine times, they've always bought an animal. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> their, their front lobby of the gym mm-hmm. is, um, chameleons and turtles and a thousand gallon pond of koi fish and, 10,000 gallons. Sorry. It, it's insane. I'll have to post pictures of it. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, he my has a gape. Oh my God. He's got uh, three ball pythons, a corn snake, chameleons, um, a cane toad, uh, a sand boa, mm-hmm. a crested gecko, a tomato frog. Um, it, it's just, it's insane. And it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And like the mascot is a sloth. So in Alabama, <laughs> legally we can own sloths as pets. So I I'm working on facilitating the acquisition of a sloth in the future for his gym. And he's been like, it's just amazing. He's done all his research. Like he knows exactly how to set up a cage for it, how to care for it and everything. Oh my uh, God. Yeah. It's, it's going to be amazing. Oh my, what kind of sloth? Hopefully a three toed. Yeah. Um, but depending on how much they cost, he's like, he's like, if we could do a two toed, that's okay too. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, you pay but, less so, for that missing toe. <laughs> um, but that's been that's been one of the coolest things about working for ourselves is we can set our own schedule. Um, mm-hmm. The days that we're open are based on how business has trended since we opened. Um, mm-hmm. Our register system, our register system, keeps track of all of our sales by hour uh, by day, mm-hmm. um, and we can reference back and forth between uh, days of the week. Um, so we've been able to adjust our hours accordingly. So that gave us Monday and Tuesday to be closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the girls were my my girls are nine and twelve, and they wanted to get in. I wanted to get them into sports, and they just wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we all signed up for jujitsu and it's absolutely just the funnest thing. We so jokingly, fun. we jokingly call it um, folding clothes while people are still wearing them. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. And it's, it's just, it's been an absolute blast. Um, we go to class probably five or six times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's, I haven't had the opportunity to do something like that because of Publix. And yeah. so it's really cool to have something else to do. That's not mm-hmm. just Publix. So how are your kids getting involved in, in the, uh, the store? Are they at all? Um, they like to think that they work here. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. But it's a nine they, to 12 year old. So just kind of occupy space, which is, it's fun. Yeah. Um, they, they want to run the register, but they don't know how to count change yet really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually they'll, they'll just get little things like they'll, they'll clean all the glass in the store or mm-hmm. um, our oldest will go around and she'll take all the waters out of the enclosures and take them into the back and scrub them and then bring all the dishes back out and refill them. Um, I could use a nine-year-old around to do stuff like that. It, it, they, they like the snakes. Um, mm-hmm. They tell all their friends like, yeah, we've got snakes and, you know, my parents run this pet store, but they're not really super involved with like handling the snakes regularly. Like even the collection at home, they're mm-hmm. never like, Hey, can I take out so-and-so? And like, so I kind of, kind of wish they were more interested in them. Yeah. But I think they're, they're more hesitant because some of them are a little mouthy. Yeah. So you mentioned your, you're referring to your collection at home. Um, what are you keeping at home versus the store? And do you have any like intention to move your home animals towards the store or anything like that? Um, so at the house, we, we had some nitopositive carpet pythons. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a, an adult Kribo and then a male baby Kribo. I've got some random rat snake projects cause I love rat snakes. I've got, um, leucistic text, leucistic Texas rat snakes, um, white-sided black rat snakes, um, Kisachi rats, the Slowinski eye. Mm-hmm. I have a, a silver leaf female, a black male, and a normal male. Um, I recently got into long nose snakes, which are, are super cute and ridiculous. Um, I've got a 1.2 of those. Um, I have uh, recently we acquired a coach whip. She mm-hmm. was stuck on a glue trap, and so oh. I brought her in and she's, she's doing great. She eats house geckos. Um, with an animal like that, and and I'm assuming that's a native species, right? So with with that native species that came in injured, are you allowed to keep that? Yes. Um, I don't, I don't want to say that we are happy to take in all sorts of wildlife. Um, I try not to collect anything out of the wild if we don't have to, but as far as native species, um, 
the only thing that we're not allowed to have without a permit, um, aside from the Eastern Diamondback, is um, the indigo snake mm-hmm. and the Eastern coral. And I thought there was um, very there's various king snakes that we can't have, and pine snakes can't have pine snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a list of weird species that we can't have. Hmm. But yeah, for the most for the most part, um, the only reason we really took in the coach whip is she was stuck on a glue trap and she looked really dehydrated and really thin. So I wanted to try to rehab her. Um, but then we were kind of thinking that it would be a really awesome educational animal because I don't know that many people ever have an opportunity to see a coach whip in person. I don't think I have. And she's maybe 12 inches long. Oh, so you'll be able to raise so her up. She's the itty bitty. Yeah. So how big do coach whips get? Um, probably like, I want to say like six, seven feet. Okay, yeah. I'm like picturing one in my head, but I don't know if I'm picturing the right animal. So I'll have to Google that again. Um, so have you had an animal that you're working with that's been your favorite to care for? Either in the store um, or in your personal collection? Um, well, I do have one really like oddball species. It's a uh, Schatz whip snake. What the fuck is that? You gotta Google him. He's amazing. <laughs> it, Spell it for um, me, please. S C H O T T S. Got it. Whip snake. Um, oh, I love it. It's got like a boom slang face. Yes. With like garter snake body. Right. Big eyes, big head, long, slender, skinny body. Uh Um, but I have one here at the store. He's on display. Um, I just call him whippy boy. He's, he eats frozen thawed mice Mm -hmm. and he doesn't like to be held, but I love him. Um, a friend of mine was working with them in Texas uh-huh. and he had one and I was like, Hey, I was like, I just happened across, you know, purchasing this animal. Yeah. I was like, I, I know you have them. How do you keep yours? And so he walked yeah. me through getting everything set up and how to care for him. And then his past. So I think I have the only one in captivity that I know of. That's so um, cool. If anybody else has one, please get a hold of me. Cause I would, I'd like to make them a project. Yeah. So what is, okay, so I, I've never heard of the species. So can you just like educate me on them a little bit? Like where, where do they fall in terms of like, who are they related to? Where are they found? What do they eat? They are a species from West Texas, mm-hmm. um, about 2,000 feet up, yes. 2,000 meters up. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the way I'm keeping him is uh, like an arboreal setup. It's probably a, a three by two by four foot tall enclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, no heat, just the light and he stays in the store. So the store is anywhere between 78, 80 degrees. Yeah. Um, he is currently eating either fresh killed mice or frozen thawed mice. Um, he has his moments. Don't we all? Um, originally he was eating house geckos, but we were able to get him over to rodents, which is, uh, easier for me to catch because they're in the freezer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So do you have um, rodents available for sale? I do. Um, so when we started this, when we opened the store, we made a really ambitious order of um, 6,000 frozen rodents, uh. which for anybody listening, they do not fit in one giant stand-up freezer. Yeah. I, I could have told you that. Three freezers. Girl. Come on. Yeah. They're all strategically <laughs> placed and like extra ones are at the house still. Um, oh my gosh. And do you sell any live? Like, are you producing your own? We do. Um, I've actually got some customers that are helping us breed mice. 
mm-hmm. um, because our back, our back hall stays so hot that it's really hard to breed. Right. Um, so we, we do what we can to breed, but then we also buy um, live rodents to supplement. Um, and it's a, it's a three hour drive one way to pick up rodents mm. because I want to, I want to keep my prices low and I want to keep my prices competitive. Um, mm-hmm. We do have a pet store about a half an hour away. Mm-hmm. And they've been around for like 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a large mouse at his place is like $12 or a large rat is like $12. Um, I, we charge six. Oh, my. and I'm, <laughs> I'm still comfortably making my profit off of that without charging an arm and a leg. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like it's just taking advantage of people. Mm-hmm. So that was one of our, our biggest things when we opened the business was we looked at PetSmart and mm-hmm. we looked at wet pets and we looked at, uh, I don't know if I should say his name. The other guy. Yeah. Let's yeah. Oh, well, I guess if I already said it, then I already said it, whatever. Mm-hmm. He knows who we are. He does his thing. He, his, his pet store is mostly, um, birds and dogs and that's where he makes his money. Um, yeah most of his animal, his uh, reptile customers don't even go there anymore. They all started coming over this way. Yeah. Um, so with your, with all the feeders that you're providing the, you know, rodents and also the, um, bugs, do you do any sort of special diet to make sure that you're providing like healthy animals to feed, to give healthy animals? Uh, well, all of our, all of our frozen rodents come from a really well-known, uh, supplier mm-hmm. and my, Live, I know what my live rodents are eating um, prior to coming into our uh, facility. And then we feed um, like a formulated rodent pellet as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're not getting overly fatty. Yeah. Um, but then we also offer uh, chicks in two different sizes and quail. Um, occasionally we have quail eggs, which um, blue tongue skinks go nuts for. Mm-hmm. But then I carry a really large selection of um, feeder insects um, dubia roaches, uh, I've got some discoid roaches in the back that we're growing out. Um, superworms, waxworms, mealworms, black soldier fly larvae, um, hornworms. Um, basically if, if, if any of my animals can eat it, I want to carry it. Yeah. How do you, okay. How are you liking the black soldier fly larva? Because that was something that's like newer to me. Um, they have been having them at my local pet store and I'm just curious your thoughts. Um, well, so we've tried different versions of them. We had the, the Phoenix worms, mm-hmm. which were, they were okay. Um, I think we were just keeping them too warm. They were turning into flies way too fast. That um, scares me. I don't know why, like the fact that I those little things can fly. turn into the flies. They totally Ugh. fly all over the place. Like, yeah, I asked, I was like, I asked, I said, well, is it like a house fly? And they said, no. And they die quickly. And I'm like that, but, but where do they go before they die? And you can't put them in the fridge to like cool it down. Like you can mealworms. So we have a wine cooler. We're on our second wine cooler. Cause the first one was a, a Craigslist flop. Yeah. Um, but we have a wine cooler set to 55 and that seems to be the, like a, a sweet spot for keeping the bugs alive, but not dead. Yeah. Torpid. Um, That's the word we used at the zoo. Yeah. Torpid. Um, huh. but yeah, so, so the, the flies are like, they're, they're long and they're terrifying and they look like a, they look like skinny wasp. And I, yeah, oh. I, I don't want to carry them anymore. 
I I wish this like this podcast was a video because the amount of things you've said that have made me just like like physically recoil so far in this episode it's got to be up to like six like (laughs) that sounds terrifying yeah um one of the other versions of black soldier fly larva is nutri grubs Mm -hmm. which the ones that we got in they come in different sizes but the ones we got in were so tiny that i think i think i killed them when i put them all in the cooler originally at 50 degrees yeah Um, because some of the cups they just they stopped moving when you left them out on the counter so i was like all right well these are all garbage Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the larger black soldier fly larvae that are like, um, they're kind of like, uh, the size of like a hole punch, mm-hmm. like circle. Those seem to be really good. They're big enough for me to feed them like my smaller chameleons and they have enough wiggle that mm-hmm. the bearded dragons see them and they're like, Ooh, what is this? I need to eat it. Wax worms are, they're kind of hit or miss. I've had a few people who come in and they've originally wanted to buy them as a staple because mm-hmm. they're inexpensive. Yeah, but they're and so I've had fatty. to kind of carefully backpedal and been like, hey, you know, those aren't really a staple. They're more of a treat. Um, let me get you some mealworms. Um, that might be a better way to go. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, and then dubia roaches are a hard sell because they're roaches. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm actually, I'm allergic to them. So Dallas has to deal with them all. That's kind of sucks for you. Yeah. Or no, that sucks for Dallas. That's kind of good for you. I would like to be able to help him with them, but I just, it's, it's respiratory infections. If I breathe around them for too long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard of that more than once. Do you, so do you have to like, you're fairly close to the Florida border. Um, do you ever have to tell people like, yeah, you can't get dubias because you can only have discord discoid or that's so dumb. That's such a dumb rule. Sorry. It, it is. And, um, we do, uh, we do kind of not to be super nosy with our customers, but like, we'll ask, you know, if, if they happen to mention Florida, we're like, Oh, do you live in Florida? Are you just up here visiting? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we'll let them know, like, you know, there are certain animals that you can't have down there and these happen to be one of them. Um, so we do have some, some discoids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get customers that come over from Georgia because we're, we're about 45, 45 minutes to an hour from the Georgia border. Mm-hmm. Um, and Georgia doesn't allow uh, corn snakes. Right. So we've got to be careful how we approach that too, where it's like, oh, I don't want to ask somebody like, oh, let me see your license before I sell you this animal. Right. But you want to cover your own ass. But, you know, my new customers, I'm like, oh, you know, I've never seen you in here before. Where, you know, where did you drive in from today? And just try to make it a conversation more so than like an interrogation. Mm-hmm. Um. But just that way too, I can kind of let them know what their laws are if they are from out of state. Um, because mm-hmm. a lot of people have no idea. Um, I still get a lot of people who are like, I want the turtles that are this big. And they're like, they're the tiny ones. They stay tiny forever. And I'm like, those are not a thing. They're like, it, yeah, I just, I had somebody in here the other day. It was like, yeah, I just want to get a 10 gallon tank. and I'm going to put a turtle in it. It's going to live there forever. I'm like, no, it's not. The absolute so disappoint you. <laughs> The bane of my existence are the people who stand on street corners and sell red-eared sliders in those little, like, critter keepers. Like, you see it in Cincinnati, and those are, red-eared sliders are illegal to own in Ohio. You cannot have them. And the amount of people who have yelled at me, either on the phone or via email, because I'm the intake coordinator for our rescue, and we legally cannot take in red-eared sliders or yellow belly, like we're at our capacity for what we can have. So we have to kill them. 
which we don't want to do. Right. People were like, but someone sold it to me. And I was like, well, they shouldn't have, like, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Right. It's like, it's an unfortunate situation. Like you don't want to be the bearer of bad news and they don't want to be stuck with this animal. And it's um, the amphibian foundation is kind of in the same position in Atlanta Mm -hmm. where they have all of these turtles that have just been surrendered to them. And they're like, we don't have any more room. Like, please stop bringing us turtles. Yeah. It's, it's a nightmare. It's really difficult. And it's, and I don't know nearly enough about Chelonians. Is that how you say it? Chelonian? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Cause I always, that's one of those words that I look at and I'm like, Oh no. Um, but I don't know nearly enough about those to like have an idea of a plan, but it's like difficult because they're also one of the most endangered, you know, groups of animals on the planet is Chelonians and we just don't treat them very well. So I'll just give a, a quick plug to check out the turtle room. If you haven't already, and the podcast because they're like the turtle plug if you want information there because I just don't have it That's unfortunately awesome. yeah they're phenomenal you should really look into them and see if there's any like partnerships that you can do with them because they do some really phenomenal education on uh turtle and tortoise care um so then you know looking a little bit more towards the future and like what you know we've talked about how you've grown and where you're sitting now what are your future goals for the business? Are there ways that you're looking to expand? Are you looking at anything getting outside of, of reptile specific, or do you think that'll always be your niche? Um, I, we have kind of toyed around with the idea of birds, um, Mm -hmm. small mammals, uh, fish. And I just, Mm -hmm. eh, I don't, I don't really know that I want to do any of those avenues right away. Yeah. Um, I, I am really interested in like the, the smaller birds, Mm-hmm. Um, parakeets, cockatiels, um, Quaker parrots, um, things that are smaller and that are legal to have in the state. Um, I, a lot of the small mammals that I've looked into are all nocturnal or they're very high maintenance. And this, this really isn't the area for those animals. Mm-hmm. In what regard? Um, like just the, the, like the area being the store or like the, the customer base you have? the the immediate area of uh clientele okay um my this little this town is tiny um Mm -hmm. within a 60 mile radius is um maybe seven hundred thousand people in Hmm. like 60 miles and if you figure one in in 20 of those people has a reptile in their home it's a very small market is that like the percentage of people have reptiles that's uh that's the u.s arc statistic I, um, I don't know website. if it's been, yeah, I don't know if it's been updated since then. Um, I don't really know how they came to that conclusion. Um, that's funny. Cause I'm looking back at like my college honors program. It's like, yeah, there are 25 of us. I'm the one with the reptile. And it's like going back to high school. I was like, yeah, there's 80 of us. And there's four of us with bearded dragons. Or, <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, I guess that does make sense. I'm yeah. not going to argue with us arc. <laughs> um, but as far as, uh, as growing, we, we try to do some things that are different to set ourselves apart from other pet stores. Mm-hmm. Um, so like going back to the feeder insects, we have what's called the cricket club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it was inspired by our friends at exotic envy. And it's uh, you, you pay up front for a thousand crickets and you come in and you get them as you need. And we have a little index card that we keep a tally on. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have the obligation of taking home a thousand crickets to save yourself money and then right. feeding them and caring for them and hoping they don't all die. 
Yeah. You're guaranteed, you know, you, you want 50 crickets a week. Cool. Come in and get 50 crickets a week. And when you're out, then you're out, but you're always getting live crickets. Yeah. So that was actually a question that Joe Rosa had again. Also, I forgot to mention Joe is a phenomenal, uh, he's our, one of our podcast partners, which is the highest tier of the pa- the Patreon. So thanks Joe for always being so supportive. Okay. Um, so Joe wanted to know if you have any tips for keeping, uh, cricket enclosures from smelling too bad. Um, vermiculite. Really? Do you put that in the yes. bottom? Yes. Um, I think recently we put like four or five inches of it down there. Um, the cricket molts will go down there and dry out. Um, some of the crickets will go down there and lay eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really helps with the smell, but then we also have banded crickets, mm, which yeah. have a low odor and are pretty hardy to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we keep on average, we have about 40,000 crickets in the box it's insane is it is it the cricket molt that makes the smell um i think it's a combination of that and um just the the feces and then if you know we get there is some die off that comes with having that many crickets i can't i I, that was always one of my things where it's like i couldn't do crickets because of the smell but that's a very good tip for anyone who may be dealing with the same thing yeah and then um on top of using the vermiculite um we use a very fine um kind of like a little pooper scooper shovel, Mm -hmm. but with a really fine mesh. So you can go through the vermiculite and get all of the molts out Mm -hmm. um, and get all of that waste out. That way you don't have to redo all the vermiculite every time you cycle crickets. So that vermiculite will sift through that. Um, You have to find the right size um, holes in the sifter. We got like a, like a little like cat scooper and it didn't really work too well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried going over the top of it with a shop back and I mm-hmm. wind up taking up more vermiculite than I want to. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's a very good tip. Is that something that you kind of developed yourself or did someone else tell you to try that? Uh, that, that came from another pet store owner as well. Yeah. Wow. Just getting some industry insights here. <laughs> Adding to the quarantine procedure that we do at the store. Yeah. Um, we are, we have, <laughs> we have a no petting zoo policy. Oh, Which that's is, so smart. It's it's really hard because I, I love to encourage the enthusiasm, but at the same time, like I am not a petting zoo and I'm not going to stress out every one of my animals for your entertainment. Yeah. Um, we do not allow outside animals in. Mm-hmm. Um, if Super anybody smart. walks in with their animal, it has to be basically gets checked in at the front counter um, and either a member of the party stays at the front counter with that animal or I will hold it there. Mm-hmm. And then they are free to go walk around the shop, which is mm-hmm. kind of convenient because if I'm standing with their animal, I'm hand sanitizing and holding it and inspecting it and seeing right. if it has any kind of problem. Right. Um, and then if it does, I can kind of help the owner be like, Hey, by the way, I noticed your animal looks a little rough here. It looks a little underweight, overweight, and kind of, kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. What um, is your general, uh, I mean, this is opinion based, what is your thoughts on bringing animals like into public settings like that? Are most people doing it because they just bring their bearded dragon everywhere or is it because they thought they're going to a pet store, they can bring it? Um, I think it's one of those things where it's like, people want to feel that validation of like, Oh, look at me. Like I keep these animals too. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I wish people would stop doing it um, for my animal safety and for their animal safety. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if you bring in your ball Python, and Joe brings in his leopard gecko and you brought in mites. 
well, maybe now his leopard gecko has mites because your snake touched to the same, you know, the same area, or you sat in my lounge with your snake and shed mites. And then he came over with his leopard gecko and sat in my lounge and he now has them. Like it's, it's just kind of like, like washing your hands. Like you, it's just something you should do. And like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to, how to put that together. Um, but I just, I, I think animals need to stay at home. Um, mm-hmm. unless, unless you need to bring it up, if you want to show me something like, Hey, um, I have a stuck eye cap, or can you tell me if my snake is a boy or a girl? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have a probe kit. Um, we're both really good at popping snakes and, um, like we're totally happy to do that. Mm-hmm. But that's one of those things where it's like, bring the snake up in a container. We'll pop, you know, take the lid off, look at it, put it right back in and then please leave with it. Like don't yeah, walk there's... around the store with it. Then I always worry, you know, if, if somebody sees an animal in somebody's hand, maybe they think that they can open a cage and take out one of my animals because they think that somebody else is holding one of my animals. Right. Right. Yeah. There's a, uh, I, I like full on almost got into a fist fight at a bar a couple months ago because I was there with some friends and it was like downtown Cincinnati, very busy area. Like I feel unsafe there, let alone my animals. And there was a guy walking around with a lemur on his shoulder and his girlfriend next to him, full grown boa constrictor around her neck. And I was like, holy shit. Talk about the worst possible combo of animals to have standing next to each other on a public street corner. That's like snack time waiting to happen. That's horrible. Like that's exactly what I thought too. Like that is, there's going to, also it's illegal to have like, it, it is illegal to have a lemur in city of Cincinnati, like within city limits, which I know like not everyone listens to the laws, but it fucks it up for those of us who do, you know, and to walk around a bar with a lemur on your shoulders because you think it's like so edgy and cool. It pissed me off. It made me so mad. I was like, my, like my friends steered me in the other direction because I was so pissed off and I was like rowdy and I was like, we're going to fight. And they're like, you are absolutely are not going to fight them. <laughs> But yeah, it was, it's, it's one of those things where it's difficult. Cause I do understand the, like, want to connect and like show off your animals and, and play with the animals at the store. But like, also from the other side, it's like, you don't want to get your animals all screwed up because of what they're doing. Yeah. And one of the things I've kind of transitioned with people when they, after they bring an animal in, I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, well, feel free to send me pictures or, you know, next time you come in, show me pictures of like how you set up that tank with those new accessories or, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of to let them know, like, I'm still interested in what you have going on, but you don't need to bring it to the store anymore. I think one of the, one of our biggest areas that we want to grow in, um, going forward is working with Rattlesnake Conservancy and offering those classes to the public. Um, we are in the process of getting a contract with the, um, we have Fort Rucker, the army aviation base here. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to get a contract with them to be able to teach these classes out there. Wow. That's Um, awesome. We've been in touch with the public safety director for uh, a couple months now. And Mm -hmm. we're just kind of like, he's interested. uh, Mm -hmm. And we're just kind of waiting for everything to finalize through TRC and um, just trying to get into a bigger building and do more education. Yeah. Working with uh, the Rattlesnake Conservancy and our local military base to teach the guys out there and the women how to safely work with any of the venomous snakes they may encounter because they've got like 40,000 acres out there. Wow. Um, most of it is heavily wooded, but they do army aviation, um, flight training. 
Mm-hmm. So where it's not wooded, it's completely flat pavement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's perfect and, for basking. Those exactly. Snakes love to bask. <laughs> and um, being civilians, we don't have access to the base right now without yeah. having a, uh, a military sponsor. Mm-hmm. So if there's a relocation call, we can't go out there. Hmm. Okay. Um, I do have one friend that lives on base that can handle those. Um, she just moved back into town. Um, so luckily I have got a, a channel that I can funnel calls to, mm-hmm. but, uh, it is, I, I, public safety is my, one of my, my main goals with, you know, grab a, a hook and a bucket instead of a shotgun or a shovel. Yeah, absolutely. And where else do you see yourself growing? Like, do you have intentions to open up a second store, or open up a larger storefront at all? Um, I'd like to do a, definitely a larger storefront. Um, mm-hmm. ideally we would have the store downstairs and a house upstairs and just have like a giant warehouse type building. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how feasible that'll be in this area. Well, that's awesome. I think this is so exciting and you've covered so many questions that a lot of people have. And I think you're hopefully going to ease some fears of people who might be interested in getting started in a similar business. But as we wrap up here, um, focusing mainly on you, Amanda, like, what advice do you have for younger women specifically getting into the hobby or, or looking to start their business? What would you tell them? Do as much research as you can um, and ask as many people every stupid question you think you have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we bombarded our friends with questions nonstop. Um, wild things, exotics out in Middleburg, Florida, um, Chance and Brandy at uh, Gator City Reptiles, um, Stephen Shannon, um, just nonstop questions, like all the time, like, Hey, how are you doing this? How do you do that? What do you think about this idea? What do you think about that idea? And we got a lot of really great feedback and it helped mm-hmm. us form what we've become. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and it's so important to rely on that network and understand that's what it's there for. That's what we spend all these years building friendships for it so that in times of need, we can turn to them. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Amanda, I've had such an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I've learned so much and I really think that this will be helpful to other people. So if people want to get in touch, learn more, um, where can they get a hold of you? And then also, are you currently selling anything online so people could, could use your store? Yes. Um, so we don't have an, an actual storefront website yet, um, mm-hmm. but we do have Morph Market. Uh, awesome. Some wiregrass exotics on Morph Market. Um, a majority of our animals are listed, um, not in entirety, but I'd say like 90% are on there. Mm-hmm. Um, wiregrass exotics at gmail.com um wiregrass exotics on instagram wiregrass exotics on facebook um you can add me and message me on facebook at amanda rua it's r-u-a um i'll add just about everybody um feel free to message me any of your questions um happy to answer Awesome. Well, Amanda, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking your evening to speak with me and pushing it back so many times because of car trouble and all that random shit that comes up in the day-to-day life. Yeah, no, it actually worked out really well for me too. So it's perfect. Good. Well, um, I, once again, I'm so grateful for your time tonight and, um, thank you everyone for listening. Once again, this is your host, Dominic DeFalco, DeFalco Reptiles. Please feel free to give me a follow on Facebook and Instagram, and then also the podcast at Modern Medusa Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. So thank you all, and we'll talk at you next week. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. 